You're listening to the teaching of Calvary Paris. For more information, go to www.calvaryparis.com. And again, if you have your Bibles, we are in Genesis chapter 29 this evening. That is where we're going to be picking up as we continue on through our study of the book of Genesis. And we are going to be working through chapter 29 and on into chapter 30, just moving through part of chapter 30 this evening. And if you are taking notes, the title of this message, I have creatively titled it, Jacob's Journey, Part 2. Jacob's Journey, Part 2, because that's exactly what we're looking at. And next week will be Jacob's Journey, Part 3. You can go ahead and just go ahead and put that in in your next Wednesday note spot as you're taking notes. As we're going to continue to see Jacob moving about the country, and uh, we are studying the book of Genesis, who we know was written by Moses. He was the author of the first five books of the Bible, and he wrote it with the theme of beginnings. You know this by now, but I'm going to continue to remind you, because what we see in Genesis is the literal beginning of everything, except, of course, for the Lord, because he began everything. And we see within the book of Genesis that it divides into two sections, split between four great events and four great men. The four great events take us from chapter 1 to 11 with the formation, the fall of man, the flood, and the fallout from rebellion, that aftermath of the flood. But then the second section, where we are currently, and where we will be until the end of the study, well, that we see slowed down a bit and honed in on one particular family, one particular family from who God's chosen people would come. And we saw that first with Abraham and then with Isaac. We are currently looking at Jacob, and tonight we will see the birth of that fourth man, Joseph, but his story will really start in a few weeks. But as the story of Jacob really took off last week, the focus of the first part of Jacob's life really honed in on the Lord, you'll remember, meeting Jacob as he had left the tents of his family. You'll remember that he left the tents of his family because he was fleeing from Esau, his older brother's wrath, because he had usurped the blessing that Esau was expecting to get from his father Isaac. And so he's literally running for his life at this moment. And as he's running for his life, he got tired and weary. And so what he did is he pulled up a rock, as any of us would do, and made it a pillow, and he went to sleep. And as he was sleeping on that rock, the Lord, well, he met him in a dream, didn't he? where Jacob, as he's sleeping, he saw this, an, this, this angelic ladder that was, that was split between heaven and earth with angels ascending and descending between heaven and earth. And at the top of it, he saw the Lord. Jacob saw the Lord and he heard the Lord as well. And the Lord, he spoke to him something amazing. He spoke to Jacob that covenantal language that he had been speaking already to Abraham and to Isaac where Jacob there heard as he was without anyone around him fleeing from his brother and without the Lord being on his mind, well, he heard the promise of the Lord, the promise of the Lord to be with him and to bring him back to the land that he was in and to help him to know that, hey, he was going to lead and to guide his life and wanted to have that same promise that he made to his forefathers. That was for Jacob as well. And Jacob, he reacted to that. He reacted in worship. He woke up from his dream, reacted in worship, then went back to sleep, then woke up the next morning and reacted in worship again. And then Jacob himself, well, he, he also spoke. He responded to the Lord. And you remember, if you were with us, if you weren't, go back and check out the study online. You remember that Jacob, as he responded, he didn't respond fully. No, he, he didn't respond fully, but rather he responded in a way where he told the Lord, hey, if you will you know, provide for me all that I want, all that I need, if you'll keep me safe and keep me warm and all these things, then I will follow you. 
Jacob, he responded to the Lord with an if and then statement, which gave us a great opportunity to remember that as we follow the Lord, it's not if and then to the Lord, it's yes, Lord. (laughs) It's yes, Lord, because the Lord is faithful to lead us and he desires to lead us. And Jacob, well, he gave us another example of, of why he is, he is in, in transition or in um, you know, that process of sanctification from being that of a schemer to the fully surrendered man of God, who we are called to be as well, as we have things that need to be worked out of our life, and the Lord, he is faithful to lead us. Well, he's leading Jacob, and he's going to continue to lead Jacob as we read. And tonight, where we begin with Jacob, we, we begin with him arriving at his destination. He gets to Haran. And we're going to see him tonight as we start out the text, meeting there his family, who he's looking for. And we're going to start tonight with Jacob in one stage of life. We're going to start tonight with Jacob being a very single man, all alone, going to Haran. But I got to tell you, we'll end tonight with him not being a very single man at all. He is going to be not a single man in any stretch of the imagination. In fact, he is going to have a mess on his hands. But the Lord's going to work continually in his life, and we are going to see that. So if you have your Bibles, Genesis 29. We're going to read verses 1 through 14 to get us going. We're going to pray one more time after that, and then we will keep moving. So Genesis 29 verse 1 says, So Jacob went on his journey, and he came to the land of the people of the east. And he looked, and he saw a well in the field. And behold, there were three flocks of sheep lying by it. For out of the well they watered the flocks. And a large stone was on the well's mouth. Now all the flocks, they would be gathered there and and they would roll the stone from the well's mouth, water the sheep, put the stone back in the place of the well's mouth. And Jacob said to them, that is the shepherds, my brethren, where are you from? And they said, we are from Haran. So then he said to them, do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? And they said, we know him. And so he said to them, is he well? And they said, he is well. And look, his daughter, Rachel, is coming with the sheep. Then he said, look, it is still high day. It is not time for the, is, is it not time for the cattle to be gathered together? Water the sheep and go and feed them. But they said, we cannot, we cannot until all the flocks are gathered together and they have rolled the stone from the well's mouth. Then we water the sheep. So now while he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep for she was a shepherdess. And it came to pass when Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, that Jacob went near, and he rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Then Jacob kissed Rachel, lifted up his voice, and he wept. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's relative and that he was Rebekah's son. So she ran and she told her father. Then it came to pass when Laban heard the report about Jacob, his sister's son, that he ran to meet him and he embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. So he told Laban all these things. And Laban said to him, surely you are my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him for a month. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for this night. Lord, I praise you, Lord, and just thank you so much for any time that we can gather as the body and Lord, just be together to serve you, to worship you, Lord, and to get into your word. And God, I just thank you as always for these that are here. Or these that are here and those watching online, God, I praise you because they could be doing anything else right now, but yet we're here together to study your word. And I ask, Lord, and ask expectantly that, God, as we open up your word, that you would speak to us. And I can ask that expectantly because your word tells us you desire to teach us, you desire to lead us. And so, Lord, as we unpack this story tonight and see the things within it, Father, we ask that you would just help us to understand and you would help us to apply the truth of your word to our lives. And God, I ask that, and I ask for it again expectantly, knowing you're faithful, knowing you desire to lead us. And I ask these things now in Jesus' name, amen. 
Amen. Well, opening up chapter 29, what it does is it really outlines for us Jacob arriving in Haran, and it shows us this series of meetings that he has. As he rolls into town, well, he sees there a well. It's in the middle of the field, and around it sat a group of shepherds with their sheep waiting to water the flocks. And perhaps, I don't know this for sure, but perhaps Jacob here remembers, maybe mom and dad told about the story of how they met, and perhaps he remembered that, you know, the story we have in Genesis 24, where the servant of Abraham, as he went into Haran, well, he found Rebekah, Isaac's wife, there at a well. So maybe he's like, hey, there's a well in the field. Maybe I'll find a lady. He's like, I don't know, but here we go. And so he goes to the field there and he he heads towards the well and he addresses the shepherds asking for information. And he asks for information if they know his uncle Laban, because if they do, then that means he's close or he's at the spot he needs to be. And they tell him that indeed they, that he is in Haran, they do know Laban. And in fact, at that moment, they point out that Rachel, Laban's daughter, well, she's on her way with some of the sheep. And Rachel means you lamb, which is fitting considering that she is a shepherdess leading sheep to water there in the text. And uh, the scene that's painted for us as he meets these shepherds and as he meets Rachel, it's actually quite comical. It's really a pretty funny thing to see. I mean, you think about it, Rachel's on her way and Jacob, you notice in verses seven through eight, he tries to tell the guys to leave, doesn't he? He's like, hey, isn't it time to go water the cows? <laughs> They're like, no, we have to water the sheep first. And, and understand that the well they'd be sitting around, it was a large communal well with a very heavy stone on top of it. And so what they're doing is they're waiting for more muscle. <laughs> they're waiting for more people to come so they can roll that stone away and then water the sheep. And so Jacob, he's like, hey, why don't you guys get out of here? She's pretty. Why don't you leave? And they're like, no, we're, we're going to wait here. But what does he do? What does he do? We see there this mama's boy. She, he sees Rachel come up and he yokes off this stone himself. He's like, whatever. <laughs> so he pushes off the stone and we see him water the flocks of Rachel there in verses nine and 10. And then what does he do? He goes and he plants a big one on her, doesn't he? He just goes over and kisses her and he's overwhelmed with emotion and just starts to cry. <laughs> just, he's like, I don't know what I'm doing. So he just waters the sheep, kisses this gal and starts to cry and, and she runs away. <laughs> she, it's amazing. It's so funny. <laughs> she runs away in all seriousness to go and find dad actually is what she does because he tells her who who she, he tells her who he is and Rachel runs and she comes back with Laban her dad Rebecca's brother and he comes and he meets Jacob and through an interchange we notice that as as he gets to know who Jacob truly is that he invites him back And there's something we must clarify, really something we must remind ourselves of as we think about Laban and this interaction that he has with Jacob. We have to remember that we met Laban way back in Genesis 24, where there is Abraham's servant went to find a bride for Isaac, that he went and he went perhaps to this same, well, I don't really know, but he went to the land of Haran and he found there Rebekah there by the well. And as he found Rebekah there, he, he, had a, he had prayed and asked the Lord to lead his endeavor. The Lord showed up in specific ways that he had prayed. And what did he do? He hooked a nose ring in her nose, put some bracelets on her arm, and then followed her back to the house of Laban. And you remember that as we're introduced to Laban, that the Bible puts on purpose some very specific information. There in Genesis 24, verse 30 through 31, they'll be on the screen for us. It says there is that as they come to Laban, so it came to pass when he, speaking of Laban, saw the nose ring and the bracelets on his sister's wrists. And when he heard the words of his sister, Rebekah, saying, thus the man spoke to me, that he went to the man. 
And there he stood by the camels at the well, and he said, Come in, O blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside? I have prepared the house and a place for the camels. You see, the text there in Genesis 24, what it does is make sure to point out that it was as Laban saw the jewelry, as he saw there the indication of riches on his sister, as he saw there the entourage that this man would have been traveling with, that that is when he was like, all right, you can come inside. That was when Laban was like, you are a man of interest to me. You can come inside. Laban is painted very quickly in the book of Genesis as one who sees an opportunity and then invites one into, the, into his company. He sees people, you could say, as a means to an end. And, and if people don't have any means, well, then that relationship is ended pretty quickly. That's, that's who Laban is. And I remind us that because as we remember that and we see here Laban running to Jacob, no, no doubt he's running to Jacob saying, oh, oh, Rebecca's son. Oh, Rebecca's son here. Oh, who's with him? What does he have? What has he given you? He runs expecting something else. And he's disappointed immediately. He's disappointed immediately because he runs. And as he sees Jacob, Jacob doesn't have this entourage with him. He doesn't have a company there with him. He doesn't have treasure chests with jewels and money as the servant of Abraham did. No, he's got Jacob. He's got himself, me, myself, and I. He is hanging out by the well and he is there and he's looking for Laban. He's looking for his mother's family. And Laban, what does he do? He goes up to him and he admits begrudgingly, he says, okay, yeah, you're my, you're my blood relative. And so Jacob could come and stay. And so what we see here in this meeting is Jacob, he, he is led and he's led, I believe, fully and faithfully by the Lord. He's given safe passage there to Haran where he's supposed to be going. And he meets there the shepherds, he meets there Rachel, and then he meets Laban. And we come now to him going into the house of Laban where he's gonna stay there for a month. And the narrative, it continues from here. And really, as it continues, what we're going to see here is relationship between, yes, Jacob and Rachel, and as we're about to be introduced to, to Rachel's sister, Leah. But that story is going to really uh, heat up, you could say, as we get to chapter 30. What we're going to see first, though, is this interaction and really a, a, a meeting between Laban that has, uh, has some pretty stark consequences for Jacob. And we're going to see this as we move into the rest of the chapter. And what we see here is now from Jacob's meetings, we go to Jacob's marriages as we pick up in verse 15. Pick it with me there. Where it says, Then Laban said to Jacob, Because you are my relative, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what should your wages be? Now Laban, he had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were delicate, but Rachel was beautiful of form and appearance. Now, Jacob, he loved Rachel. So he said, I will serve you seven years for Rachel, your younger daughter. And Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than I should give her to another man. So stay with me. So Jacob, he served seven years for Rachel and they seemed only a few days to him because of the love he had for her. And then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife for my days are fulfilled that I may go into her. And so Laban, he gathered together all the men of the place and he made a feast now it came to pass in the evening that he took Leah, his daughter, and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. And Laban, he gave his maid Zilpah to his daughter Leah as a maid. And so it came to pass in the morning that, behold, it was Leah. And he said to Laban, what is this that you have done to me? Was it not for Rachel that I served you? Why then have you deceived me? That's familiar. And Laban said, it must not be done so in our country to give younger before the firstborn, fulfill her week, 
and we will give you this one also for the service which you will serve me still another seven years. And so then Jacob, he did so. He fulfilled her week. And so he gave him his daughter, Rachel, as wife also. And Laban, he gave his maid, Bilhah, to his daughter, Rachel, as a maid. And then Jacob also went into Rachel, and he also loved Rachel more than Leah. And he served with Laban still another seven years. As verse 15 here opens with Laban offering Jacob a job and asking him to name his wages, understand that this is not, this is not a, a good interchange here. This is not Laban like expecting and desiring for, for Jacob to just name his price. Really, this might sound like a ni- nice offer here, but what Laban's doing is he's watching out for his bottom line. He's like, what are you gonna do for me, man? He's like, you can stay here, but if you're gonna stay, you gotta work. <laughs> you can stay, but you have got to work. I don't care whose son you are, you've got to be put to work. And it's here that the Bible introduces us to Laban's daughters, really in an official way. As Moses here, he recounts that Laban actually had two daughters. We've already met Rachel, again, the younger of the two, whom the Bible says was beautiful in form and in appearance. But we're also introduced to Leah as well, the older of the two daughters, of whom the Bible said that she had delicate eyes. And uh, there is debate on the translation of what this delicate eyes means. It could mean that she had some uh, a lazy eye, that she, you know, maybe had cross. I, I really don't know. Uh, many believe that it just kind of means she was ugly. She just was kind of plain in form. Where where we see the, uh, you know, we see that uh, Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. The opposite is very clear that she had delicate eyes. It's kind of a, a bless your heart type of. Thing. But anyways, it says there in verse 18 that Jacob, he loved Rachel. He loved Rachel. So he said to Laban, I will serve you for seven years for Rachel, your younger daughter. And this offer to work, understand what he's doing is he's offering this in really as, as a, in a sense of a dowry. He's offering this, uh, though Jacob came from a family with great wealth, you'll remember he left with nothing. He didn't have a penny to his name. And so as he offers this, this time of working, he, before he could take a woman into marriage, he had to provide a dowry or an assurance of the ability to, to be able to um, take care of and support the family and to compensate for taking of the daughter. And seven years was actually a very generous offer. You see, the, the typical going dowry work rate, if you will, was three to four years. So seven years being offered would be extravagant, but would also be it would be indicative of Jacob's desire and his love for Rachel. You see, Laban here, as he accepted this offer, he set Jacob to work seven years. And the Bible says here about Jacob, I love this. It says that he served for seven years and it only seemed like a few days to him because of his love for Rachel. And you know, there's some great application here within this as we look at Jacob and his love for Rachel. Even though Jacob still has a long way to go, he does a lot of things wrong. We're gonna see that tonight. He's gonna do more things wrong as we continue to study his life. But understand that his love for Rachel and desire that he had to marry her and the desire to wait for her, well, that's huge. And it should show out to us as something that is, that is huge and important. When you think about the importance that we see the Bible place on marriage, and if you don't know, the Bible places a lot of importance on marriage. In fact, within the New Testament, it is marriage that is used as a picture of Jesus and his church. What we know is often called the bride of Christ. The Bible has a lot to say about marriage. And it sees it as important. And God, he he sees it as a big deal. And it's important to know that marriage whether you are today young and perhaps looking forward to marriage or older in years and looking forward to marriage, or if you are married today, that the marriage you are looking for, the marriage you are in, that God sees it as a big deal. And so too, should we treat it as such? 
So too should we treat our marriage as a big deal. And so too should we see that as Jacob here, as he had love for Rachel that was willing to work for her. Well, so too, we who are in marriage at this time, we should be willing to work for our spouse. And again, as we talked about on Sunday, when we were talking about our relationship with the Lord is not works-based and neither is really our marriage where it's not my working for Aaron that keeps me married to Aaron. Well, still so, I should have a desire to work for her. I should have a desire out of the love from my heart to work, to provide for her, to give her the things that she needs spiritually and physically as well. In the same way that Jacob here gives us a great example of, we should desire to work for those that we are married to. But we should also too, for you that are in this room that are, that are not married, perhaps you're looking forward to marriage at one point in time, that marriage is something worth waiting for as well. That love, true love that we see Jacob exemplify here, that that is something that is worth walking out. And love, it's true as it is true, it it waits. It waits for the right one spiritually. It waits for the right one physically. And Jacob, though he blows it in a lot of areas, he gets this one right. He gets this one right in showing us an example of what true love in the Lord, I believe led by the Lord, what it looks like what it truly looks like. And for us, it's a great example and a reminder of how seriously the Bible takes marriage and how seriously we should take marriage. We should take marriage seriously, especially in the day and age that we live in now where marriage is such a flippant thing. Marriage is seen as temporal and as temporary, something where if it doesn't work, you just press the reset button and you start right over. But understand that God, he sees marriage as as an important thing. If you're married here tonight, man, God sees it as an important thing. If you're looking for marriage here tonight, God sees it as an important thing. And our love that we have for our spouse and the Lord calls us to take it very, very seriously. And Jacob, he does that. He exemplifies that for us well. And Jacob, as he loves Rachel, he works for seven years. And then after seven years, you can imagine, he punches the clock on the last day and he goes to Laban. He says, all right, <laughs> time, buddy. It's time for my wife. It's time for marriage. And we, we, we just read it. We see this series of events that Jacob, he tells Laban to give him his wife so that he can be married. And what does Laban do? He throws, he gathers the men and he throws the wedding feast. He throws there the wedding. And what we see is this turn of events that comes up, isn't it? This turn of events that in the, in the period of time of the wedding feast that Laban, what does he do? Is he switches things up and he gives Jacob Leah instead of Rachel. He gives Leah instead of Rachel to where the next morning Jacob, he wakes up and it's not Rachel beside him, it's, it's Leah beside him. He wakes up not to the wife that he had worked for, but he wakes up to the one that was right there next to him. And, and Jacob, he married the wrong woman. He was tricked by his father-in-law. And the Bible says that as he wakes up, he, he, he wakes up seeing Leah there. And, and the Bible doesn't give us any indicator as to why he didn't realize it was. And there's speculation out there. You know, it's, it's dark in the Middle East when there's no lights. And so it could have just been too dark. There, it could have been that she was heavily veiled, possibly alcohol. I don't know. But what we learn is that he wakes up to Leah, not to Rachel. And we're told that as he wakes up, he immediately goes to Laban with questioning as to why this is happening. He's like, what is the deal? He's like, I worked seven years for Rachel. And Laban, what does he do? And he just, he, just, he just answers him. And you can imagine Laban, he answers him there. He's a schemer. He's a match, quite honestly, as we're about to see. He's a match truly for Jacob in his scheming. He answers him and he says, oh, you know, didn't I tell you that around here, you know, we can't give the old, we can't give the younger before the older. So I just had, my hands are tied, man. That's just, that's just what happened here. And he gives and he says that, I, I, you know, it is Leah, but if you want Rachel, well, fulfill Leah's week, finish out the seven-day wedding feast, and then you can have Rachel, and then you can work for me for another seven years. He just kind of scoots that in there. 
It's like you can have what you want, but you need to also have Leah because it's already done. And so what we see Jacob do here, he fulfills the week for Leah. He marries Rachel, who also receives a maidservant, Bilhah. We see that these two girls are both given maidservants, which for the story, the narrative here in Genesis is a big deal. We'll see why in a moment. But then Jacob, he works another seven years. And quite honestly, he gives us a great example there. He does. He gives us a great example of continuing to be a man who is of his word. And the Bible points out that Jacob, he loved Rachel more than Leah, more than Leah. And it is quite frankly a mess that we find Jacob in here. It's a mess that we find him in. And what we see here with this whole ordeal, and there's a lot of things that are, that are quite honestly, again, are, are left out. Things like how he didn't know that it was Leah, what it looked like for him to be working for those seven years, what Leah and Rachel, what their reactions were. There's a lot of things left out. But one thing that we can take from this story, one thing that should stand out to us all as we are watching the life of Jacob and seeing the Lord shape him into the man that he wants him to be should be the fact that this deceiver, the one who schemed against his own father and against his brother, well, he just got a taste of his own medicine, didn't he? that he was just schemed against by his father-in-law. And that's something that stand out to us tonight because what it does is it illustrates for us a principle that is absolutely true within the word of God. You know, if you're reading the one-year Bible, you read these verses this morning in the book of Galatians. In Galatians 6, verse 7 and 8, Paul says, Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit, it says, will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And you know, we've discussed over and over again how Jacob, how he has sown deception consistently. We've seen it played out in the story of Jacob. That he is that heel catcher, that supplanter, that schemer. When Esau came to him, being dramatic and in the flesh as he was, he came to him and, and what did he say there? As he asked for that stew, he's like, give it to me unless I die. And Jacob, he had the, he had the phrase already ready to go where he said there, give me your birthright, man. You can have the stew, you dramatic baby, but I want your birthright. He knew what he wanted and he knew that Esau, the impulsive fleshly Esau, that he would take that deal. And then when it came time a little bit later, as, as time went on and Esau was getting ready to be blessed by Isaac, again, Isaac was in the wrong, Rebecca's in the wrong, but the fact of the matter is, as this is about to happen, it's not approaching Isaac and handling it the right way. Rebecca schemes and Jacob goes right along with it so as to take the blessing truly from his father. He had schemed, he had supplanted his brother and now he's reaping. Now as he has sown to the flesh, he is reaping the corruption. He has been one who is not seeking after the things of God, but the things of Jacob, the things for Jacob. And here we see this principle, this schemer and one who wants his will over everything else. Here, as he is sown to that lifestyle, he now finds himself in, in the time of reaping. And he finds himself staring, literally staring, into the eyes of the results of his sin as he is there given Leah instead of Rachel and is now just moving forward in a mess. And truly, friends, what we can see here is this principle played out. And to be reminded indeed that God, he's not one that is going to be mocked. God will not be mocked in our lives, friends. I hope you realize that. I hope you realize that in our lives, as we are all sinners who are prone to sin, who are prone to let sin, even in our relationship with the Lord, at times lead us in seasons far from the Lord. Lead us in seasons where we let Satan gain a foothold as we sow into the flesh. What we need to know is that God will never be mocked. He doesn't let sin go unchecked. 
He doesn't let sin go unchecked. I, I believe fully, we've talked about it before, that God will mess with your gig. He will put things in your way, make sin uncomfortable for you so as to pull you away from sin, so as to drive you from sin. And also too, if that doesn't work, and if as you continue, if we continue to sin, continue to pour into the flesh, understand that we will absolutely reap corruption. That is a truth within the word of God, friends. It's unavoidable. It's not something to mess around with. It will happen. And so what is needed from us is a realization that God will not be mocked. Flesh will reap corruption and repentance. Perhaps what Jacob could have done there in the tents of his father. I don't know. I don't know. What I know is that Jacob, instead of there seeking repentance, no, he, he flees for his life. Instead of at an early stage in his life, repenting from scheming and turning away from the lifestyle, no, he continues to seek his own. And in fact, he's going to continue to do that. Jacob doesn't learn his lesson here. He continues to be the schemer. And so oftentimes, so can we do the same. Where God will even allow consequences of our, sin, of our sin to come into our life. We will be allowed to reap corruption from our sin, but yet we're like, ah, it's okay, it's not that bad. It's not that bad, I can, hide the, I can hide the consequences, I can work through the consequences. But understand, friends, that God will not be mocked. Our flesh will reap corruption. So what should we do? We should repent and so do the spirits. So do the things of God and walk in the way that he wants us to walk. Not in the way of the flesh, not in the way of the world's but trust what he has and go the way that he wants us to. Jacob here, he hasn't, he doesn't, he won't, in fact. He's gonna learn some more hard lessons and we don't have to. We don't have to because we have the story again to give us an example. And so friends, if tonight the Lord speaks to you in that way, hey, turn to him. Don't sow any longer to the flesh, sow to the spirits. And Jacob now again, he finds himself married, not to the one wife he desired, but to two. He has now two wives and two sisters, in fact. And, and what follows now in the rest of this chapter and on to chapter 30 is really something you, you would expect to see, quite honestly, like reality TV or as you open up social media sometimes. It's absolute madness that we're about to, that we're about to read. And as we do so, before we do so, there's a clarifying, uh, a clarifying point that we should make, something that's very important for us to understand. Something very important for us to understand is that though we are going to see God work through this mess, and I'm very thankful for that. I'm very thankful that we see God work through the messes that we make. And he does, he is faithful. And though we're gonna see God work through this mess, you know, we've discussed before that God's plan, it will not be stopped by human failure or resistance, that his will, his ultimate will, his ultimate plan will get done because he's God. He's God, he's victorious. We can read the end of the book, quite frankly. <laughs> we're allowed to do that. We see that God, that he wins. But we must understand that as we read these things, as we see God working through the situations in people's lives that they get themselves into, we must understand that just because the plan of God is accomplished in the mess of deception and in the madness of Jacob's marital life, that that doesn't mean that God condones of the behavior. It doesn't mean that God condones of the sin of Laban or of the multiple marriages there of Jacob. God doesn't condone of the issue though we will see him work things out for his good and for his glory. His working in the situation and the bringing about of his will is in no way God condoning the sin and the actions. It's important that we realize that. It's important that we realize that as we read the Bible because how we read the Bible and how we truly see the Bible, that interprets the way that we see the Lord. 
Like if we see that the Lord here, and we see in our, in our reading it, we think to ourselves, oh, God must be okay with this sin. God must be okay with this because His will gets done. His glory is gotten. Well, then we will have a wrong view of who the Lord is. We'll have a wrong view of who God is when we start to think that He's okay with sin that we see within the Word of God. We will also be and have a wrong, uh, have a wrong look at who God is when we start to think that God is okay with our sin and with our compromise. And we can do that. We can do that because what we can do is we can bank on the Lord getting his will done, which he will, and continuing maybe to use us as we continue to live the life we want to. But we must be clear that sin, sin always destroys and it always has consequences. The deception of, of Laban here, it's about to cause issues like, like no other. We're about to see issues. And you can just imagine the issues. Just put yourself into this picture and think through the, uh, the deception of Laban, the sin there what it would have caused with the relationship between Rachel and Leah, these two sisters who are now thrust into this relationship where they're sharing one guy. Like this, this, this weird split that they would experience. The relationship there and create more and more strife between Jacob and Laban and marital problems. Like this deception, understand it is not good. It is absolutely sin. And God will work through it, but it is still sin. The sin of deception isn't good, nor is the multiple wife marriage that Jacob, and, and Jacob has there with Rachel and Leah. Understand that that is outside of God's design. The only thing within marriage that, that is what the, the only marriage that God says is right is that one marriage between one man and one woman that the, Lord, that the Lord set up there in the beginning. That is the design and this is outside of it. We see throughout the Bible where there is there are issues that people have, sin that some of our Bible heroes commit. And yes, we see the Lord work, but we must never think, we must never think that God is okay with the sin. God gets his plan done. He works and he moves for it, but he doesn't sin. And we must not see sin as a means to get God's will done. We must never see sin as an opportunity to, to please the Lord or to do the things that God wants. Sin is always sin. Sin will always destroy don't ever think that sin is something that God approves of to get his work accomplished. He has a perfect way. He has a perfect way. He has a perfect way. He had a perfect way here for Jacob. He has a perfect way throughout all of the word of God for all of our Bible heroes that fail. And he works in and works through their failure, just like he does with ours. Praise the Lord for that. But that never means he's okay with our sin. He's not okay with the sin that we see here. It is gonna cause damage. And so we can be encouraged to know that God is faithful. And he is gonna be faithful to continue to get his will done here. We're gonna see that as we read. But we must not get confused and think that just because we see God work, that he's okay with the sin. That he's okay with the way that this situation came about. And so with that clear, clarity in our minds, we move forward back to the text. And what we see now, again, as I've already said, is, is a picture of absolute madness. It just absolutely is because these marriages, well, they breed madness. And what we're gonna see as we read, we're gonna read together. And as we read, it's the best way to tackle this is to read it in its entirety and to stop along the way perhaps and make some, make some interject some comments. That's what we're gonna do anyways. I don't know if it's the best way, but that's what we're gonna do. So we're gonna start and we're gonna read together throughout the entirety of the story. And we're gonna see here what goes on. And we're gonna see here what Jacob has in his life at this point. So if you have your Bible, we're looking now at Jacob's madness there in verse 31 where it starts. As it says, when the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. So Leah conceived and she bore a son and she called his name Reuben. For she said, the Lord has surely looked on my affliction. Now, therefore, my husband will love me. 
Then she conceived again and bore a son and said, because the Lord has heard that I am unloved, he has therefore given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon and she conceived again and she bore another son and said, now this time my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore his name was called Levi. And then she conceived again and bore a son and said, now I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah and then she stopped bearing. There's a couple things as we stop there, as we look first at Leah here and these first four kids. A couple things to point out. One of those is, again, Jacob. He's not, he's, he's not all of a sudden as he has now been deceived himself. He's not all of a sudden like the golden child, right? He's not all of a sudden just like arrived, like, I learned my lesson. No, it's very defined within the word of God that he loved Rachel more than Leah. But yet notice he's still willing to have sexual intimacy with Leah. He's still a guy who is following after the flesh. He's still a guy who's seeking after his desires. And we're going to see that continually because what we're going to see is that, that, that Rachel doesn't have a child until the end of our text tonight. She doesn't have a child until the end of our text tonight. And I would highly doubt it's for lack of trying. What we're going to see tonight is Jacob, as we continue through this line and this, this household of ladies that he has, is that though he loved Rachel, he still followed the flesh. And my friends, that is something something that we must guard against in our lives. We must be those that see the perfect will of God. We must be those that see the prescription within the word of God of how we are to live in purity in this world and go that way. And then then again, with Jacob right here, it's with sexual desire as we see within this text. He He doesn't love Leah, he loves Rachel. He desires Rachel, but yet he's still willing to sleep with Leah. But it can be with anything, any flesh desire that you may have, Hey, what you need to do is take it to where the Lord is and say, hey, if this isn't my flesh, it needs to go. I need to abstain from this and follow you in the right way that I need to go. Jacob here, he, he has not arrived just because he's been duped. No, he still has a lot of work to do. But so does Leah. So does Leah here. And what you see with Leah here is that as the Bible says that, that Rachel was loved more than Leah, I have no doubt that within that household that that was known that it was known that Leah was not the loved one. And Leah, she felt that. And what she did is she sought for love to be felt. She sought for love to come near her. And she sought for that from her husband. She sought for that. And you'll notice that as she sought for that love, that every time that she has a child, and she bears four sons here on the get-go of their marriage, which in that culture was a big deal. Like the fact that she bred a son on the first time, that's amazing. The second time, wow. The third time, the fourth time, wow. That is incredible. That would have been an honoring statement there for Jacob and for his entire household. And Leah, what does she do? She says, ah, since I've born a son, now my husband will love me. Now that I've born a son, a second son, my husband's gonna love me. A third son, attachment there, Levi. He's like, my husband, he's going to love me. Three times, Leah, what does she do? She seeks to wrap up her identity, seeks to wrap up her worth in her husband her worth and her being a wife and being loved by her husband. And my friends, with our lives, in our lives, what we can do is we can wrap up our love and our identity and our feeling love in a lot of places other than the Lord. We can wrap up our life and our belonging and a lot of other things and be seeking to belong in a relationship, seeking to belong and feel love, this ultimate love and contentment in a relationship, in a person or in an activity a job, a hobby, whatever it may be, we can do these things. And whether it's a person or something, understand that those things will always let us down in some way or the other. And you could have an amazing person in your life, but they're not the Lord. You have an amazing person in your life, but they're not the Lord. You could have someone in your life that you desire 
right now? Who is an idol in your life? And understand that they are not as good as the Lord is. And Leah, three times, what does she do? She seeks to wrap up her love, her identity, her belonging in, her ability to bear sons, asking and desiring for her husband to love her. But I love there on the fourth son, what does she do? She says in verse 35, and she conceived again and bore a son and said, now I'm not looking for my husband. Now I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah. And then she stopped bearing, notice that. She stopped bearing and she's going to bear again, understand, that's going to happen. But understand that in this moment right now, what we see is that she stopped bearing. And she said, and it's as she says, I'll praise the Lord, I'll find my contentment. I will find my love ultimately in the Lord's. It's an amazing thing to see there. But as she is bearing these four sons, we learn as we start chapter 30, that Rachel here, well, she is barren. Verse one of chapter 30, what does it say? It says, now when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, well, Rachel, she envied her sister. And she said to Jacob, give me children or else I die. Dramatic much. And Jacob's anger was aroused against Rachel. And he said, am I in the place of God who has withheld, who, who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? And so, he said, and so she said, here is my maid Bilhah. Again, I told you the maids would come, would come up again. Go into her and she will bear a child on my knees that I also may have children by her. And then she gave him Bilhah, her maid, his wife, and Jacob went into her. And Bilhah, she conceived and bore Jacob a son. And then Rachel said, God has judged my case and he has also heard my voice and given me a son. So therefore she called his name Dan. And then Rachel's maid, Bilhah, conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. And Rachel said, with great wrestling, I have wrestled with my sister, and indeed I have prevailed. So she called his name Naphtali. You know, stopping there, what we see here is these sons that are born here, not to Rachel, but to Bilhah. So by surrogacy, born there to Rachel, in the same way that Ishmael, born to Abraham and Sarah through Hagar. Well, this is the same scenario here. And you'll notice how this all starts. This all starts there where Rachel, much in the same way that Leah is, just on the other side of things, because she's the loved one, well, she still desires the love from her husband and desires the approval of her husband. What's more, she no doubt desires the, 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 the top podium, if you will, above that of Leah. Again, she's the pretty sister. She's the one who's done you know, the most for herself, if you will, socially. She's the one who's desired. And so in this moment, she's like, ah, oh, Leah's getting one up on me. And so what does she do? She goes to her husband and says, give me some children. Give them to me or I die. She's dramatic as all get out. And, I, and Jacob, is, is, he's no better as he meets her. What does he say? He says, who am I? He's like, I'm not in the place of the Lord. And what we see there is something, a disconnect, if you will. A disconnect, if you will, from what Jacob would more than likely, and I'm speculating here, but I'm gonna say more than likely would have known about his mom and dad. Whereas his mom and dad, if you remember, Isaac and Rebecca were pregnant and the, the pregnancy was hard. What did they do? They turned to the Lord. They turned to the Lord. Instead of saying like, who am I? I'm not the Lord. I can't handle this. What did he do? Is he just said, he just passed her off, said, I can't deal with this. And then comes a worldly solution found in Bilhah. But instead what they should have done, what Jacob should have had the, the brain to do, the thought to do was to say, you know what? Let's go to the Lord with this. Let's go to the Lord with what's going on right now. What an example of what not to do, friends. When we don't know what's going on, when we don't know what's happening, when we expect one thing, 
and then it's not happening. Maybe it's an idea that we have, or maybe it's something that the Lord we know is leading us into, but yet what we see is not what we expected. The thing to do is not to scream and complain and be dramatic and go to one another and be like, why isn't this working? Let's go to the Lord and say, God, what's going on? Because God will be faithful. God will be faithful and be faithful to speak to us and lead us in the waiting, lead us into the solution, whatever that might be. And I got to tell you, it, it wouldn't have been what happens next. Because again, in the same way that, the, the, uh, that, that Ishmael was born there with Abraham, well, so too here do we see this same pattern going on. Again, this was culturally acceptable, but this is outside of God's design. This is outside of God's design that Bilhah here is brought. And here, Jacob, notice again, he doesn't say no. He doesn't turn this idea away. He said, let's seek the Lord on this. Let's do something else. This is not right. This is getting really weird. No, he just goes along with it. And we see here that there are more sons that are born, but yet still strife continues. And the strife is going to continue to continue, as we see now in verse 9. As Leah, what does she do? Well, she throws her maid into the ring. And verse 9 says, when Leah saw that she had stopped bearing, that she took Zilpah, her maid, and gave her to Jacob, his wife. And Leah's maid Zilpah, she bore Jacob a son. And then Leah said, a troop comes. So she called his name Gad. And then Leah's maid Zilpah, well, she bore Jacob a second son. And Leah said, I am happy for the daughters will call me blessed. So she called his name Asher. Again, what do we see here? We see that sin, well, it, it begets more sin. We see that the flesh, sowing to the flesh, it reaps more flesh. As we see here that Bilhah, given by Rachel to, to Jacob, he takes it on. It's like, all right, let's go. And then Leah, not to be outdone, she's the one who has had the most kids, but now she's having a dry smell. She's like, whatever, I've got a maid too. And she throws her into the ring. And Jacob again, what does he do? He goes along with it. He goes along with it. This perpetual just moving and turning of the flesh, it just continues to cycle. And it always will. And then we see more of it. We see Leah, now she's able to, in this little interchange, dealing with one of her sons. It says in verse 14, Now Reuben went to the days of the wheat harvest and found mandrakes in the fields and brought them to his mother Leah. And, and then Rachel said to Leah, Please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, Is it a small matter that you have taken away my husband? Would you take away also my son's mandrakes? And so Rachel says, it's weird. Therefore, he will lie with you tonight for your son's mandrakes. So when Jacob came out of the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, you must come into me for I have surely hired you with my son's mandrakes. And so he lay with her that night and God listened to Leah. and She conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. And Leah said, God has given me my wages because I have, I have given my maid to my husband. So she called his name Issachar. And then Leah conceived again and bore Jacob a sixth son. And Leah said, God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will dwell with me because I have borne him six sons. Again, she's reverted now back to seeking approval from her husband, seeking love for her husband. So she called his name Zebulun. And afterwards she bore a daughter and called her name Dinah. This crazy interchange here, this episode within this drama, and that is what it is. It's a drama here. We see that Reuben, he goes out to the fields and he finds these mandrakes. And mandrakes in this culture, understand, were seen to, 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 to aid in fertility. They were seen as to aid in fertility. They're called the, the root of fertility or the apple of fertility there in that culture. And, and what we see here is, is Reuben, little Reuben, brings them there to Leah. And she's like, oh, that's cute. And Rachel, she comes along and says, let me have some. She's like, give me those mandrakes. I know what they do. And, and she's like, oh, well, you know, no, they're my sons. And she's like, you can have your husband tonight. My husband, your husband, you can have the husband tonight for the mandrakes. 
And so she makes the deal and goes and meets Jacob as he's on his way in. She's like, all right, come on. <laughs> like, what? Jacob, this poor guy. Of course, he goes along with it. So whatever, I don't feel bad for him. But anyways, we see here that Leah, she goes and she seeks again approval from her husband. She seeks identity and love from her husband above that of the Lord. She's reverted now back into the same habits. A real danger for us, friends. Real danger that we can ourselves we can see and we can surrender to the Lord for our identity and our love in the Lord above everything else. And then what can happen is something can happen in our lives. We can see someone and compare ourselves to someone. We can see someone get ahead in a way that we think we should, maybe in a job or in ministry or in relationship or whatever it may be. And we remove ourselves from seeking approval in the Lord and our identity in Him. And instead, we seek after the old thing. Leah does that here. We must not be those that do that. And again, we see Jacob continually. He's not the man that he should be in this moment. God still has a lot to do in his life. And we end with Rachel. Where Rachel now, we see in verse 22. As it says, then God remembered Rachel. And anytime it says that God remembered Rachel, remember this is what's called an anthropomorphism which means that God didn't forget about Rachel. This is our, the, a, 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 a literary tool to help us know that God, he turned his attention to Rachel, was working in Rachel's life. It says, then God remembered Rachel and God listened to her and opened her womb. And she conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. So she called his name Joseph and said, the Lord shall add to me another son. These verses are really cool because what we see here is a transformation over this series of, of, of interactions and transactions, which is what you can really call them, between these wives, these women, and Jacob. Or if you remember, as we opened up with Rachel back in, in, in verse 1, that she's dramatic. She's, she's panicked, if, even if you will. She's, she's afraid of losing to Leah. And as she comes to Jacob, she comes and like, give me children or I'm going to die. Like, you better make this happen. And then when it doesn't, she gives it to the maid. And it's this constant, this, this consistent, just competition between the two, where the two sisters are seeking approval from Jacob, not from the Lord's. And they're seeking after Jacob to take care of things. But here, I love this in verse 22. It says, then God remembered Jacob and God, what did he do? He listened to her. He listened to her. God listened to her and opened her womb, which is indicative, my friends, of, Le of Rachel here taking a turn at some point. And I don't know when this turn looked like. I don't know what the Bible doesn't tell us, but what is indicated in the text is that as this was all going on, over the course of time, she said, okay, you know what? I need to take this to the Lord. My husband can't deliver this. I've given him my, my maid and she's delivered. That's fine. They're mine technically but I need to go to the Lord with this. And she goes to the Lord, she prays, and the Lord, he meets her, and she conceived, and it says, bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. She looks to the Lord as who has done this work. She looks to the Lord as the one who has performed this work in her life. And I love that because what we see here is this transformation, this transition of thought from desperate and desiring something from someone else to saying, you know what? God's gonna give me this. And what's more is that not God only, not only give me this, but what does she say in verse 24? So she called his name Joseph and said, the Lord shall add to me another son. 
She had faith in this moment as she saw this son being born, who's going to be, again, this fourth man that we're gonna be looking at his life in a few weeks. Joseph, that guy, you know, he gets the colored coat and he gets thrown in a pit and he comes from the pit to the palace, to the prison, back to the palace. Like, this is an amazing thing that we see with, with Joseph's life. As he's born here, it's Rachel who we are to hone in on and see that she had a change of heart as she sought not to look for identity and love ultimately in her husband or in how she could perform and what she could produce, but in the Lord's and what he could do and what he wanted to do, what he was going to do. And that's the amazing thing for us to see here tonight as we, as we end and start to wind down is that this mess, this big mess, this is a mess to watch, to read this chapter. And Genesis gets crazier than this. This is crazy, but it gets crazier. That in this mess, and in every other mess that we see throughout the word of God, the mess that our Bible heroes get into, and I'm thankful for those messes. I'm thankful to see. What I'm thankful to see is when our Bible heroes, when they, as they come out on the other side of it, and the Lord gets a hold of their life, what their life looks like. And Jacob still has a long way to go. Our Bible heroes that we see fail, oftentimes it's hard for them. But it's again, super encouraging to me to know that as we see these things and the light bulb comes on and they seek to follow after the Lord, that the Lord is right there to meet them and to lead them from where they are. And it's amazing because that, that, it's that same story that we see within the Bible, well, it's represented in our lives in so many ways as well, because we all, just like them, we're humans and we're failures. Every one of us in this room, I'm here to tell you tonight, you're a failure in some way because you're a sinner just like me. You're a sinner just like me. And the Lord is faithful. I'm so thankful that he's faithful to work in our lives, even in spite of our sin, even in spite of our failures and wants to lead us and help us to learn from our failures. And again, that doesn't mean that he condones the sin, that he appreciates the failure or that's ever mean to see, meant to be seen as a means to an end for the Lord's. But I'm very thankful and I'm encouraged when we see our Bible heroes through the failure, through the trial, come out on the other side and say, you know what, the Lord, it's the Lord who will add to me. It's the Lord who is leading me. It's the Lord who is faithful. It's the Lord who is going to take me from this place and continue to work in my life as I allow him, as I let him. Again, we see a reverting back in Leah. We see a movement of faith in Rachel. We're gonna see Jacob, his, his rough edges are gonna to continue to be shaved off. He's gonna blow it a lot more, but we're gonna see the Lord work in his life. And ultimately he goes from that schemer to that surrendered in the same way, my friends, that we have the opportunity to do as well. And God is faithful to do that. And so I'm encouraged tonight to see, even within this mess, again, God working. And understand what God does here. As he works through this mess, what he does is he brings about this, 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 through every single son that is born, he brings about the most important bloodline in the entire world. And it's a bloodline, understand, that's not American, just, just to let you know that. It's a bloodline that leads to their, the nation of Israel, God's chosen people, which ultimately through one of these, through Judah, leads to the Messiah, leads to Jesus, the Savior of the world. God works through this mess to get his will done on earth, his ultimate will of reconciling humanity to himself. An amazing thing that we see right here through this mess and through this madness. And that encourages me, but it also challenges me. And I pray it challenges all of us tonight. It challenges all of us tonight to look to the Lord's and to look to the Lord knowing that he wants to work in our lives right now. And it doesn't have to be a mess. <laughs> like, I love that. 
We get example from our Bible here as a failure and the Lord working through that failure. But that failure, we see it so that we don't fail ourselves. We see it as a what not to do on so many levels. And know that God is faithful to lead our lives if we'll surrender to him. And so tonight, maybe you're in the middle of a mess. Maybe you've made a mess. I've made messes. I know you have too. Maybe tonight you're in a mess. Hey, guess what? God still is faithful and can work through that mess. But he also wants you tonight to surrender to him. He wants you and I tonight to surrender to him ultimately and allow him to lead our lives. That we would be the best conduit we can possibly be to allow the Lord to work through our lives. To not bank on the Lord working through the mess, though he is faithful to do but just to surrender it all to him and say, God, I just want to be open and available to you. Will you work in and on my life? That's what's available to each of us tonight. That's what's available to each of us. And I pray that we would be those that seek that, that would build our lives upon the Lord, seeking that he would be the Lord of our life and would work the way that he wants to, get his plan done and include us in it, so that we would be includable, that we would be those that allow the Lord to work in us as we surrender to him and allow him to lead us. Again, Jacob has a lot more to go. We have a lot more to go. But thankfully, the Lord is faithful to be there every step of the way. And if we'll let him, we'll see him work, and we get to work with him. Let's pray.